With the sequel on the way, let's talk about one of cinema's most famous shootouts, the shootout from Heat. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. movie friends welcome to scott's self-indulgent movie podcast i am scott and today i am talking about the shootout from heat and this came up for a couple of reasons uh one is that michael mann apparently is in the midst of making um is in the midst of making heat 2 which is interesting i'm keeping myself in the dark about most of what's going on there and also uh michael mann's name came kind of back into the public eye not just because he's doing interviews about heat 2 but also because of the passing of james Kahn. reminded a lot of people that the movie thief is very good and very awesome and then it's like oh that one's good like what are some other sort of solid like you know violent but action-packed crime flicks that are also just you know solid and heat's one of them so without further ado let's talk about heat's signature scene So Michael Mann's Heat is a classic. It's a dark, brooding crime flick with great performances across the board. Mann's signature no-nonsense style and one of the best shootouts in movie history. It's also a movie that a lot of other movies learned the wrong lessons from. So today, I'm going to dig into the movie's signature scene, why it works as well as it does, and what the real takeaways from its success should be. After circling each other from the, for almost the entire movie, Al Pacino's Lieutenant Hannah has finally uh, finally has a hot lead on Robert De Niro's Neil McCauley, who's in the middle of a brazen midday bank robbery. Though the police don't arrive in time to stop the heist, McCauley's crew quickly notices a swarm of police officers outside the bank and opens fire. And all hell breaks loose. So why does it work? Well first, we have the build. Up until this point, Pacino and De Niro have been playing a game of cat and mouse with each other, but they've been getting closer and closer. For the first heist, Pacino is on the radar because isn't on the radar because no one even knows this crew is in town. But after they track track down the wildcard element who went trigger happy, Pacino and his team figure out De Niro's next heist. But it doesn't happen because De Niro spots a trap and calls off the job. And finally, Pacino and De Niro have a face-to-face where they talk about their lives, their jobs, and then assure one another that they will kill each other if they meet each other in the professional world. This means we've already seen, one, how violent a heist with this crew can get, two, a tease with the, via the called-off heist, and three, the movie equivalent of a pregame weigh-in before a title fight. So by the time De Niro is robbing the bank and Pacino gets the tip, we've been expecting fireworks for some time. We also have the context. The ultimate face-off between cops and criminals is enough to get most audiences excited for a shootout. As And if you'd like to, as Michael Mann clearly did, you can dump a bucket of foreshadowing in for good measure. Macaulay may be a stone-cold professional, but he and the audience have been getting sign after sign that the walls are crumbling around him. His crew, especially Val Kilmer's Sherless, has seems unreliable. Their newest addition went AWOL. Hell, they just grabbed a new getaway driver the morning of the heist. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like they should be doing this. This sounds exactly how you get into a massive shootout with police and half of you end up dead. And sure enough, they do. All And the results all lead to Macaulay's eventual demise. Now let's get to the shootout itself. 
Michael Mann is well known for making very grounded action scenes. His actors get trained to use all of the tools and weapons they'll use on screen, and he wants everything to look like it would in real life. And in 1995, this wasn't a thing, especially for a firefight like this. In the mid-90s, if you were having a giant firefight between sunglasses-wearing, machine-gun-wielding bank robbers, there's a 50-50 chance that the thief is, one, your hero, two, about to fire from the hip and kill an army, and three, maybe both. Basically, before this movie, the chances of your bank robber changing a magazine on screen being used for training and for the military was close to zero. Now, cue up the Val Kilmer clip. Our robbers move like a special forces unit, which broke ground for R-rated action, even if its effect wasn't felt until later. More on this in a bit. The shootout also isn't cool or badass. It's pure horrifying chaos, for one big reason, fire superiority. This isn't something we talk a lot about in movies, and especially in action movies. For action movies, the reason is simple. Either our hero is overcoming superior fire, for instance a pistol versus a bunch of machine guns, or is mowing people down with superior fire. War movies demonstrate this so our heroes can adjust tactics and talk things out. For Heat, our villains have the superior fire, with a collection of semi-automatic rifles at their disposal, and our heroes are struggling to handle it. None of which is said out loud either. The movie emphasizes just how terrifying and chaotic anything akin to machine gun fire is, as the bullets tear through cars and bodies with ease as the police fire back with pistols to seemingly no effect. And there are civilians everywhere. All of the chaos lasts almost 10 minutes and only ends when Hannah has to shoot a robber who's taking a little girl hostage in the head. Which, in action movie terms, is completely bonkers, let alone a neo-noir drama. And even after the police take down a couple of the robbers, it still feels hollow. The robbers still killed a bunch of people. It's a... and half of them got away. It's a somber and sobering reflect on the film... on film violence. Essentially, the reason the shootout works so well is because we built up to it, got every warning that it shouldn't happen, and then watch in horror as it explodes through the city. Which brings us to the final element, sound. Of all the behind-scenes info about Heat, there's one that I find the most interesting. Michael Mann used the onset sound for this scene. Apparently, he didn't like the initial sound mixing and instead went on with the on-set sound, which is shot live on city streets. And that makes a world of difference. It's normal for scenes like this to mix hell uh, to mix uh, to sound mix to hell and back because shooting in a city can add a lot of background noise thanks to things like echoes. And here, that echo works perfectly. The fire from Macaulay's crew is deafening, but also booming through the city like thunderclaps. And that really puts you in the headspace of everyone involved. You can imagine how terrifying that sound is if you're trying to face these guys down. And you can feel how chaotic it would be to try and regroup as that kind of cacophony is going on. It's one change, but it changes the entire context of the scene. But people learn the wrong lesson, which is that tactical chaos equals exciting. Though American audiences were still getting interested in things like John Woo, Hell Face Off came out three years after this, filmmakers who were impressed or influenced by this movie decided to use it as a baseline for their action scenes. So that means everyone shoots like a soldier in a tactical unit, we shoot from cover and move, and we pump in as many bullets flying as possible. Unfortunately, lesser filmmakers view that as a replacement for a well-constructed and easy-to-follow action scene. One thing that's underrated about this scene, and Mann as an action filmmaker in general, is that his instincts and shot selection are perfect for action filmmaking, even when the shooting starts. I'll follow one character in this scene to demonstrate what I'm talking about, Val Kilmer's Chris Sherless. 
We know that Sherless gets the shooting started, and throughout the scene, based on shot selection, we know where he's at, who he's shooting at, and what he's hitting, and eventually, who hits him. There are individual moments of drama and exchanges within the larger scene that is pieced together via shot selection. This clarity is what a lot of modern action filmmakers can mess up. You can't count on the guns and the pops to tell the story. You need to tell a story with the camera, too. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.